Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Good morning. Good to have all of you with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, find Acts chapter 6. Before we get started, I'll go ahead and address the elephant in the room as to what happened to my head. It's very apparent I have wounds. Um, but when Alabama loses, my wife, Amanda, she throws things. <laughs> and I'm just not as fast as I used to be. But uh, that sounds a whole lot better than I just turn around and ram my head into a limb, right? Because, I mean, who wants to go with that? Anyway, hey, uh, I want to remind you this morning to be in prayer every single day for our search team as they search for our next uh, staff person, and they uh, met this past week. They are looking at names and praying over people, and uh, they've been meeting before last week as well, but they met this past week, so they are actively working and seeking, so continue to pray uh, for them. And then also today is a special day. It's our generosity gift day that we talked about several weeks ago, and I've been asking you to pray about what your part is going to be in God using you to reach the $68,000 that we need to renovate our children's building, okay? Uh, and so there are pamphlets around here. Uh, they're at the hub. They're on the hub rack over here. They're all around along with the uh, special envelopes that you can use to give your gift. And if you, if you didn't know about it today or you didn't plan on doing it today, you're just now hearing about it, you, you can give after today. Uh, but when you do, try to use those envelopes. If you didn't, that's okay. Hopefully you designated it some kind of way. But I'm really, really looking forward to next week announcing. We want, we're not going to announce it until next Sunday because uh, there will be gifts coming through during this week, I'm sure, and they'll have to be processed. We'll have to have some time to figure all that out. But I'm really super excited to see uh, what God's going to do and then celebrate that time together next week. So uh, hopefully you've prayed about it. You're going to give your gift today, and we'll just see what God does and how he blesses us. Uh, one last time, I want to thank all those who participate with uh, Trunk or Treat. I know it's already been said and, and all that kind of stuff, and I had nothing to do with our car, by the way. That was all Amanda. That was not the McCrary's. That was Amanda that did, did that deal. But uh, anyway, thanks to all of you for uh, participating and having a great time. Thanks to uh, our children's ministry director, Ms. Kim Freeman, and all her leaders who, who made a wonderful event. It, it was a lot of fun, you know, for not only the community and the people that came by to get candy and all that, but just being together as a church body out there, we had a lot of fun together. So uh, we look forward to doing that again next year, maybe. Well, our current series, Unstoppable, is investigating the birth of the church, a, a, a birth that produced an unstoppable witness, an unstoppable gospel, an unstoppable boldness, an unstoppable generosity, and an unstoppable power that we've looked at so far. Today, we're going to look at what we're calling unstoppable ministry. Unstoppable ministry. You know, I heard of a man who went to a monastery to become a monk, and it was a very strict monastery. They could only say two words every 10 years, okay? So the first 10 years went by, and the monk went up to the abbot, and he said, soup cold, Another 10 years went by. He walked up to the abbot, and he said, bed hard. 
Another long 10 years went by. And he walked up to the abbot and he says, I quit. And the abbot said, well, it's about time all you've done is complained ever since you got here. <laughs> so if you've been a Christian or you've been a churchgoer for very long at all, you know that complaining Christians, that's not a new thing, right? We've always had them. We've all met Christians who feel like maybe they've even been given the gift of whining or the talent of whining, okay? And if you are one of those people, let me just say that this is the one talent that God doesn't mind if you go and bury it, okay? You, you can do that. But I just want to point out here that having said all that, we know that real churches have real problems because we have to make room for sinners in our churches. We just do. And if a church is not willing to welcome sinners, we just need to go home. Because that's what churches are about. As long as the church welcomes sinners, we're going to continue to have problems. But here's the key. Write this down if you're taking notes. Those problems can create unstoppable misery, or they can create unstoppable ministry, as we're about to see here in Acts chapter 6. But I want us to set up the context of what's about to take place first. Now, the church has just been birthed, and because of that, it is experiencing rapid growth. We saw 3,000 in just one day, and then 5,000-something more just a few short weeks later, and then we're on into several chapters now, so there's no telling how many more thousands have joined the church. And so God's adversary, Satan, or the devil as we like to call him, he is doing what he's never stopped doing since that day. He is trying to stop the unstoppable ministry of the unstoppable church, right? But I believe we give Satan too much credit sometimes, and here's what I mean by that. Satan really only has a few tactics that he likes to use. He just likes to repeat them over and over. We've already looked at what a couple of those tactics were. A few weeks ago, we saw where he used persecution. Persecution is one of his tactics, you know. Because of his work, the apostles, they were arrested, they were jailed, they were even beaten. But all that did was make their passion for the mission grow and expand. It just made it better. And so the devil went to tactic number two, which he still uses today as well. And that is he brought corruption into the church. Remember Ananias and Sapphire, how they lied and lying began to take place in the church. But that corruption was exposed by the Holy Spirit because, see, and the church purified it because what happens is it's normal to have corruption, but it's a sin to allow it to continue, and there's a big difference. And so as a result of all that debacle, the church grew even more. And so he went for tactic number three, which is maybe his most effective tactic to hurt the church, and that is he introduced division into the church. Look at it with me in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the dis daily distribution of food. In other words, you're not being fair. You're giving some of these widows more food, and ours aren't getting any. So verse 2, the 12 called a meeting of all the believers... They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Verse 5, everyone liked 
this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. And so, once again, Satan's tactics are defeated, and all he's done is caused the church to grow faster and to grow bigger. But before we can talk about this unstoppable ministry that we see taking place, I think there's a couple of things that we have to address about the church that's really important that we see here in this passage. Number one, the church is a mystery. It really is. The church is a mystery. I've said all of my life, I don't know how the Baptist church even makes it exist. I mean, you look at some of the things that we do and the way we do it, I mean, no business would ever survive a week or two. I mean, but the church is a mystery. And all the things that we do, and the one common factor that has not changed in the last 2,000 years between the first church and churches today is we don't do different very well. They didn't do different very well. We don't do different very well either. Not just churches, but really anything, anybody you go to in America, uh, people all over the world just don't do different very well. Just watch the news for 10 minutes or some of these uh, political commercials that we have to put up with right now. I'll be glad when that election's over, you know, just to get rid of the commercials. But anyway, the world just doesn't do different well. And then God comes along and he bursts this church that has the intention of showing how that we can embrace diversity. So if you're taking notes, the church came about so that church could do different differently. And show the world something different. See, the church was always meant to be the picture that shows how sinful mankind can be reconciled to an almighty God. And when that takes place here on this earth among people we never thought would reconcile or get together, it's a beautiful picture, right? It's a beautiful thing that happens. You ever notice how some of these uh, programs that are out there that give the news, they'll give you an hour's worth of bad news, and then right at the very end they give you that little thing at the very end that's a happy thing? Because, look, we like it when we see happy. We like it when we see different done differently. It peps us up. And so the word that's used in the New Testament for this is mystery. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 3, verse 3 through 6. He says, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. And see, up to this point, that's why it's called a mystery. It's because the world's never seen anything like this. Where you have Jewish people and Gentile people, they're sitting in the same room, sitting at the same table, and they're liking it. And they've never seen that before. It didn't happen. And see, most churches today struggle with that, trying to show the lost world what that looks like, where people that are different can get along. And I promise you, a lost world, they will most definitely take notice when this mystery does indeed happen. They'll notice when people can do different differently. But unfortunately, over the years, too many churches have leaned more toward alienation than they have reconciliation. And so we got to keep our focus. Because you know what? 
it doesn't take the Spirit of God to form a clique. We can do that good enough on our own, right? And that just doesn't show us what the mystery looks like. That's not a good picture of what God wants the church. The church is to do different differently. But embracing diversity is difficult at best, and it comes with its own special challenges, right? It's pretty tough. But not only is the church to be a mystery, the church is messy. The church is messy. And the reason church is messy is because the people in the church are messed up. We're messed up, folks, and that's why we need church. I tell people all the time, well, you know, I don't want to go down there. I'll fill out a place. No, you'll fit right in. You're as messed up as we are. And we're as messed up as you are. We're just, we're just trying to do something about it. So it's not surprising that the first big mess in the first church involved differences. But let me set the historical and the cultural context for this because if I don't, it's not going to make near as much sense, all right? You have these two communities or these two groups of people. You have the Hebraic Jewish Christians and you have the Hellenistic Jewish Christians. You're going, well, what's the difference? Okay, well, here, here's the difference, all right? The Hebraic Jewish Christians, they grew up in Jerusalem, right? They've been there all their life. Everything about them was 100% Jewish, all right? All their customs, all their, thing, all their language, they all spoke Aramaic, okay? Now, during the dispersion, though, a lot of other Jews had to go live in all other places all over the world, and they spoke Greek in those places. And so the language they learned up uh, learned growing up speaking was um, Greek, right? And so that's why they call them the Hebrew Jews and the, the Greek Jews, right? So you got these two different groups of people. And so these Jews who were dispersed and, and grew up learning Greek, their biggest goal in life was to come back home, especially as they were getting older. They wanted to come back to the Holy Land. That's where they wanted to die was in the Holy Land. So you've got this huge generations of Jews that are older that's coming back into Jerusalem. And that's why you have so many widows at this particular time that are showing up in the first church. And, and we, we already know that the stage now is set for a situation to arise because of this. So you have this Greek-speaking Jewish widow, and she has real needs, and the church cared about those needs. We've already looked at that a couple weeks ago, right, where they had this program where people would bring the apostles the money. The apostles would decide who needed the money and, and how much they needed, and they would disperse the money out as it was needed. We've already talked about that. But here's, here's what's happening now. The church is growing so fast that the administrative part of this benevolence program is just too much for the apostles to handle anymore like they were able to handle it when they first started the program. Does that make sense? All right? So pretty soon, I'm going to go old school here on some of you, some of you younger folks, you won't know what in the world I'm talking about here, but many of us in here and are watching online or listening to the podcast, we grew up with a person called a music director, Okay? And they use something foreign called a hymn book, all right? And what they would do is they would get up, and every Sunday morning they say, I want you to take your hymn book out of the hymn rack, and I want you to find hymn number 220. And when you get there, we're going to sing the first, the second, and the fourth and last verse only, all right? Now, those of you who grew up, y'all know what I'm talking about. And I'm not making fun of that kind of music or anything. I'm just making a point here. And what is the point? Well, here's the point. 
Why they skip verse 3, we'll only know once we get to heaven. We can ask God about it, all right? But here, here's the point. Verse 3 was always there. Verse 3 is still there in the hymnal. It's just rarely, if ever, noticed. And that's the way these widows were beginning to feel in the first church. And so the issue that came up, it was totally unintentional, but it had some potential toxic impact waiting to happen that was going to be unimaginable if they didn't take care of it, right? And, and here's, the here's the thing with this first church. The very message of the gospel is we want to do different differently. And now here's our chance. What are we going to do about it? And so the apostles saw how this could have an impact, and they could see what a big issue it was. And so they came up with a proposed plan for a new ministry that would allow them to stay focused on evangelism while still meeting the needs of the widows in the church, right? And so what happens next is the biggest miracle in the entire book of Acts, right? Yeah, some of you know where I'm going. The whole church liked the idea. Now, that rarely, if ever, happens, right? That had to be the Holy Spirit, but it did happen. And let me remind you, the whole reason this came up to start with is because the church was growing. You know, over the years, I've heard many people say, well, I left my church because of all the problems we had over there. That's the last thing I want to do is come to church on Sunday and hear about problems. I've got enough of my own problems. I deal with problems all week long. I just want to go to church, don't have any problems, and where I don't have to hear about any problems, don't have to deal with any problems. Well, can I just tell you something, if you that your mindset, and I can just save you some time, all right? If that's you and you don't want a messy church, then you just need to find one that is dying. That's the one you need to join. Find you a dying church and join it. Because, see, here's the deal. Dying churches are very, very quiet. And they get older and smaller with each year that passes by. But if we're going to be a growing church and we're going to reach all races and all languages and all people with diverse cultural backgrounds that have all kinds of issues coming into the church, we're going to have to understand we're going to get messy. We're going to get messy, folks. And that's why we need an unstoppable ministry is to meet the needs of those that are in need. And so I want to share with you three principles of what unstoppable ministry looks like with the understanding that really this isn't just for church. This could go for all areas of our lives, right? Principle number one is we need to think the best of one another. We really do. Because the opposite is so easy. We need to think the best of each other. The church has always had problems and messes. Because, look, people have messes and problems. We know this. But we often forget that it doesn't necessarily make a person a problem person because they have problems. And just because somebody comes along and makes a negative observation, that doesn't make them a negative person unless they're doing it 100% of the time all the time, right? At our staff meeting each week, we are going through a list of 20 questions concerning our attitude as church leaders. We're on number 14. We've been in it for quite a few months, okay? We're slow learners, but we're, we're trying. Y'all pray for us, okay? Um, but one of those things that we've had to deal with is our attitude when it comes to constructive criticism. Most of us felt like that was an oxymoron, okay? That really, most, most time what you get is destructive 
criticism, right, if you get any at all. Now, we've also had to learn that there's a difference between constructive criticism and crankiness, okay? And so we've learned that as leaders, criticism does come with the territory, and we're kind of unique, and we've got some part-time folks that haven't been doing this for very long. We've got some volunteers that are doing things that's, you know, never been in ministry, and, and, and then you've got people that's been in it forever like me, you know, and, 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 and you know, anyway. So we've we got all this diversity on, on our staff, and so we're sitting in here asking ourselves the question. So we've had some say, wow, I didn't know. There was so much complaining until I got on church staff, you know? So much criticism out there. And so we've learned that you are, as a leader, you're going to get criticism if you're doing anything at all. And so what we're learning is, is that some of our best criticism is going to come from the people who love us the most and want us to be the most effective and to have the most success in our ministry. So they share with us sometimes things that they think will be beneficial to us, right? And then we also recognize that are going to be those, well, they just don't ever want to be happy, right? No other way to say it. And we have to learn the difference between those two and, and if we're going to lead people forward and help them to make a difference for the better. And so what I want you to see here out of these leaders in Acts 6 is something very important. I just couldn't just blow by this. These leaders, they were invested in the lives of these people. They cared about what was going on, and the concern of these widows was very, very legitimate. And see, a lot of churches, they just get to thinking, you know, if we just had stronger leaders in our church, we wouldn't have the problems we have. If we had better leaders in our church, we just wouldn't have the problems that we have. Well, I want you to notice in Acts 6, that's not the problem at all. Having good, strong leadership doesn't guarantee less mess. I mean, Acts 6, church, they had the strongest leaders the church could ever have. They had the apostles themselves, and they still had problems, folks. I think it's also important to notice that just because they were dealing with a messy situation, the people out there, they didn't think the leaders were the cause of the messy situation. They just realized that what they needed was a solution, not different leaders. And so churches are going to be messy sometimes. But here's the thing. Even when things weren't at their best, they all, leaders and members alike, they all thought the best of each other, and they came together in agreement with one another on a solution. And again, this goes beyond just church. So if you have just gotten married... Or if you're about to get married, or you plan to get married sometime in the near future, I'm going to give you a bit of advice this morning. It's going to make your whole trip here worth it. You ready? When a man and I first got married, our first few years of marriage, we would say and do things that would hurt each other's feelings. Okay? And so like, when she would get all pouty and stuff, I'd go up to her and I'd say, What's wrong? And you know what she says. She said, Nothing. And so I'd go on about my business like nothing was wrong, right? You're going, you hit your head more than once, didn't you? Yeah, that was just pretty dumb. So guys, guys listen to me. Y'all listening? Guys, when we say nothing's wrong, that's what we mean. Nothing's wrong. I got this. I can handle it. I don't need a fix or a solution. I'm dealing with it. I just need some space. Nothing's wrong. Leave me alone. But when a woman... When she says nothing, 
That's woman speak for I want a long, lengthy conversation with every possible solution might be out there to help us fix this problem and to fix it now. <laughs> See? Well, when I finally got all that figured out, and Amanda realized that I didn't wake up that morning with the intention of being a full-on jerk. You know, our marriage has been pretty good for almost 40 years now. And you know what? We still mess up. And we all do some things sometimes, might hurt each other's feelings. But you know what we do now? Is we choose to think the best of each other instead of the worst. It's a choice, folks. And so the truth is, We'll never do good ministry here at Eastern Heights with a bad attitude. Never. Principle number two, we not only think the best of each other, we ask the best of one another. See, for a while what the first church did to minister to the widows was good, but now good was not good enough. And so that's why any church has to stay flexible. We have to stay flexible. So that we aren't just preserving something that was good in the past at the expense of what might be best in the present. And that's really hard to do. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that at Eastern Heights on most things, right? But it's really hard to do when we have memories of things in the past that really connect us to a special experience with God. Maybe it was a class you were in. You can go back 10 or 15 years. Oh, I love that class so much, and I hated it the day we had to split it up to make room for the new people that were coming in the church, and we needed a new class because we'd outgrown the, one we, the room we were in. Or, you know, we, we, we get into this thing where we're thinking, you know, I love that service that we had. That service we had, that was so, so special. Man, I connected with God so much at that. It was just so, so neat. Or maybe it was the kind of music that we were doing. Or maybe it was the time that we had and things were changed. And you, you think back, man, I just loved it back when, you know, and all that kind of thing. Or maybe it's even a program. You know, I just loved it when we had this certain program because that. And, and so we get to think because we experience God that way, that everybody has to experience God that way from here on out. We do. We don't mean to, but that's the way we get to thinking about it. And so it takes a lot of courage to ask, is there something now in the present that is better than what was good or even great in the past? It's a hard question to ask. Most churches won't ask it. And the apostles didn't get defensive about it. They didn't say, you know what? It was good enough in the past. Everybody just needs to get over it. We're going to keep doing it that way. They didn't do that. They said, what was good enough in the past is not good enough now. And so they proposed an administrative solution, which, by the way, the gift of administration is one of the gifts that's given by God through the Holy Spirit to people in the church to do the work of the ministry. And so when people say, well, I don't like organized religion, what you're saying is, is you don't like the way God has organized his church to function and called and gifted and committed his people to lead it. That's what you're saying. But the more important question to ask than what are the best programs is what are the best and who are the best people. So I don't think it's by accident, I think it's pretty significant that all seven of these names were Greek names. Think about it just for a minute. 
this majority leadership group in the first church, the Hebraic Jewish leaders, they picked the Hellenistic Jewish leaders to take over this new program. Says, well, I'm going to give you the responsibility for it. Y'all take it and run it like you think it needs to be led. And the most important question they didn't ask in selecting who would lead this new program, it wasn't their training, it wasn't their experience, it wasn't their education, it was the requirement that you have to be full of the Holy Spirit because when somebody's full of the Holy Spirit, you know they are, right? You don't have to ask them and they don't have to tell you. You can tell when somebody's got the Holy Spirit. An unstoppable ministry will never happen without the presence of the Holy Spirit, folks. And so just like you don't want me up here each week preaching and without the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, you don't need to be ushering or greeting or teaching a class or being a musician or being a singer or a camera operator or changing diapers over in the nursery or listening to little kids recite scriptures or listening to a teenager in small group talk about what seems to you to be an insignificant problem, but it's killing them right now. Or to even be part of the scenic engineering team that takes up the chairs and sets them up every week and takes them down. You don't want to do any of that without the power of the Holy Spirit. All ministries need to be spirit-filled ministry, folks, from the least to the greatest. And, and the reason why is because ministry is more than a task, folks. We don't need people to do tasks. We can get anybody to do that. Ministry is more than a task. Ministry is modeling a lifestyle of service to other people. And that's what Jesus has called us to do. So that brings me to my third and my most important principle, I think, is that we want what's best for others. Man, that's hard. I'm too much about me. Right? I want what's best for me a lot of the time. But we need to want what's best for others. So this passage isn't teaching that one ministry is more important than the other ministry. That's not what it's about. The apostles weren't saying, okay, listen, we're going to take the more important spiritual task over here and do it. And then we want you to take the less important task and, and feed the widows over here. That wasn't what they were saying at all. What this passage is teaching us is that both spiritual needs and physical needs, they're both best. Both of them are best. That's why the apostles used the same word for it. Would you want to know what that word is? Good. I'm going to tell you. The word that they use for it is the word we get our word deacon from. And so if you were reading this passage in the original language, here's what it would sound like. They're saying, we apostles, we're going to go over here and we're going to deacon the word. Okay? And I want you to pick some leaders full of the Holy Spirit and I want y'all to go deacon the food ministry to the widows. And so together, both of us, we're going to deacon the ministry of the church. Isn't that great? See, spiritual ministries, they don't focus on the programs, but they use programs to focus people on what's best for finding and following Jesus Christ. And every healthy church I've ever served in or studied, that is the marquee thing that you'll find is a culture of service where people come to the church and they go to that church and they attend that church because they understand their role is to serve in that church and to make a difference in people's lives through that kind of ministry and you know what I'm proud to say that's what Eastern Heights has been built on 
I've never served in any church that has any greater percentage of people attending that serve somewhere in a ministry than here at Eastern Heights. That's what we built on. That's what we're going to continue to build on. Not what is just good, but what is best for people to find and follow Jesus Christ, folks, whatever that might be. So here's the takeaway. Very simple question. Are you serving in a ministry that's making a difference in people's lives? And if not, what are you doing? And if you want it to change, we have a four-step strategy that we use here. And we encourage people to take the dare to discover God's purpose in your life, to apply four habits that will keep you growing and wanting to serve other people and doing more than just looking at yourself, to recognize how God has spiritually gifted you and wired you up to serve other people in a way that you're going to just have a blast doing it. I'm looking over here at Miss Marcia right now, and I didn't ask her about this first, so I'm breaking one of my rules. But anyway, she helps me with this dare ministry, and every time we start out a, a new session with folks, she gets to tell them, and I'm not going to say her age, how the person of her age gets to come work with all these little kids, and she loves it. And I watch her when she comes in the front door here, like this morning, and these little kids come running up to her. Their face lights up, her face lights up, and it makes me light up. I'm going, yes. That's what we need more of. And so if you want to find something to make your face light up, and your life light up, and have joy that goes beyond your circumstances and may not be great, you need to figure thing out how God's gifted you and then explore a ministry area in our church where you can make a difference in somebody's life. Even if it's handing out bulletins or listening to a child side of scripture or the harder stuff going in there and listening to what a teenager thinks about what God says about something and there's a lot of others but now is the time to become part of an unstoppable ministry and an unstoppable mission that God has for an unstoppable church folks now is the time now no matter your age no matter how young you are no matter how old you are now is the time I'm too busy yeah. You think it's going to get better someday? <laughs> I got another bit of advice for you. It ain't. It's always going to be busy. So what about it? Let's pray. Father, unstoppable ministry is what you've called us to be a part of. And the church is definitely a mystery and it's very messy to get involved and I know some of us sitting here thinking that my life is just too chaotic right now it's too messy already the last thing I need is to get involved in any more mess down there at the church but I tell you what there's nothing like seeing messy get cleaned up by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that'll change your life and light up your life and bring joy that nothing else will do so I pray Father that you'll send messy workers into the messy field to do the work God, thank you that you take messed up people and you clean us up and you use us regardless. But Father, that's our prayer today that we'd all be a part of the ministry that you've called us to. And we 
We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I'll be over here to my right and to your left on your way out if you'd like to talk about a spiritual issue that you're dealing with. If you've never invited Christ into your heart and into your life, we'd be glad to talk with you about that as well. And we just uh, are glad that you're here today. I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope that uh, you will take what God has said today and put it into practice because it will change your life, I promise you. Let's all stand together as we sing. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.